The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Hey, Morgan Hill Bible Church, happy 4th of July weekend to you. This is Pastor Michael, and I'm actually recording this sermon here from my home in Chicago. But by the time you watch it, we will be in Morgan Hill, and hopefully our stuff will also be there with us. I mean, we are so looking forward to being there with you in person. Um, if you happen to see us at any of the uh, festivities this weekend for the 4th of July, our family hopes to go. And if you see us, please come. Come and say hi. I would, uh, I would love to meet you. And I invite you to next weekend as we celebrate God's faithfulness to our church. And I will so look forward and treasure your time to be there, to meet you, and to be together next weekend as a church family. I'm so looking forward to it. Well, many years ago, a study was done. And, and in this study, they took two kind of groups of people who, who tested basically exactly the same on an aptitude test. So we're the exact same for all measurable circumstances, all measurable ways, exactly the same measure of intelligence. But what they did then is they divided this two group, these two groups of kids into two different classrooms. And the teachers taught them differently. In one group, the kids were told, hey, you are in this group because you are smart, you are an intelligent, this work is hard, but you can do it. We have high expectations for you, and we expect you to live up to it. But in the other group, they were told, hey, you're in this group because you're not so smart, and the other kids are smarter than you, and you probably can't master this work that we're studying. In other words, we have low expectations for you. The study was done for a few weeks, and then the exact same test was given to both groups of kids. And the team, the group that was told, we expect great things of you perform significantly better than the other group. And what the researchers did who, who did this test, they were doing it to test this, do people's expectations of us matter? And they argued that yes, yes, they do. That, that when people have high expectations for us and we understand what those expectations are, the natural thing is for us to live up, to live into those expectations. And today I want us to think about this question, what does God expect from us? What does God expect from us? See, if we naturally live up to the expectations that people have of us, then if we start to understand what God expects of us, we will then hopefully live into these expectations that he has. So today I'm going to be preaching and looking at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. If you have a Bible or you're on your phone, I would invite you to turn there. Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 23. And this, uh, these are the words of Jesus. He finds himself here with his disciples who had just said that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And he, he tells them to keep the secret. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake 
will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits himself? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits himself? Or some translations would say forfeits his soul. Today we're going to look at three expectations of all followers of Jesus. Three expectations of all followers of Jesus. And the first expectation is a selfless commitment to Jesus. The first expectation is a selfless commitment to him. Now notice here at the start, at verse 23, the context, he says, and he said to all. He's not here just speaking to his selective group of disciples. He's not here speaking to a religious select, but he's speaking to the crowds, to the masses. He's speaking to everyone. And he says, if anyone would come after me. These are words of discipleship, language of of following after Jesus. And he doesn't say, hey, if you want to be a super Christian, do this. He doesn't say, this this is what I expect of of people who are pastors or missionaries or or this. No, he says, this is to all and this is for anyone. These are Jesus' expectations of anyone who would want to be his disciple, to come and follow after him. And he says, let him deny himself. Deny himself. A selfless commitment to Jesus. See, this verse, this phrase, deny himself, goes contrary to everything that our world teaches us about what we should do, about how we should live our lives. See, our world does not speak language of self-denial, but of self-fulfillment. In our world, one of the greatest goods, one of the highest values that we could ever have is to be true to ourselves, to seek after what we want, to find our own happiness and to do whatever we would want to bring us joy. If you want to do it, that is correct. You go, you do it, fulfill your own heart's desires, whatever they may look like. See, we don't live lives in our culture of denying self, but of fulfilling self. In fact, in our world today, often the self and worship of ourselves is God. It's like the highest good that we would seek after and worship ourselves. See, he says here, what does it matter if we gain the whole world and yet forfeit ourselves and forfeit our soul? What does it matter if we have such great affluence, but we are apart from Jesus? What does it matter if we climb the corporate ladder, but we don't know Christ? What does it matter if we gain power and success in this life, but we ignore eternity along the way? See, this idea of of focusing on ourselves is so natural, but it's so empty in the end results. But Jesus calls us, and he expects of us to deny ourselves. See, that our lives, our mission would be not for us, but for him to be glorified. Not to seek our own greater good, what we want for our lives, but to seek what would Jesus would have for our lives, that his name would be honored and glorified. See, the problem is, is that so often in our lives, in following Jesus, 
Our expectations don't live into this. See, so often we want the benefits of following Jesus without any of the sacrifices that we have to make. We want the benefits. We want forgiveness. We want heaven. We want peace. We want love. But we don't want to have to do anything along it. We just want to live how we want to live and add Jesus alongside it as well. See, so many Christians, we we treat following Jesus like getting in shape. All right? Getting in shape. Wouldn't it be great if getting in better shape meant that you just did whatever you wanted? And because you were thinking about it, you got in better shape. Man, that would be great, wouldn't it? That would be fantastic. We all would look utterly amazing if that was the case. But no, getting in shape takes some serious commitment on our behalf, right? It it takes denying your own wants, what you want to do. I want to sleep in, but no, I'm going to get in, get up early and go work out. I really want to eat that donut or another piece of cake but no, I'm going to deny myself because I'm, I'm going to focus on this instead. See, so often we want the benefits of Jesus without having to make any of the sacrifices for how he's called us to live. We oftentimes desire a religion that costs us nothing. Martin Luther said this. He said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. It's worth Nothing. See, when this selfless commitment denying ourselves that God calls us to, it battles with this question. Is God's will more important than mine? Is God's will more important than mine? See, this really gets down to it. Right? Even back when you think back to how mankind fell in the Garden of Eden, they thought that they wanted what they wanted would bring them ultimate happiness. They doubted God's goodness. And so they lived for themselves rather than trusting in God. So often today we are selfish because we have caused ourselves to think that this is what will really bring me the truest happiness and joy. My friends, the irony is this, is that in denying ourselves, we find the greatest joy possible in Jesus. Denying ourselves does not mean that it's a life of subjugation and and unhappiness and it will be awful. No, but denying ourselves is actually the means to the greatest joy possible. But the greatest joy that we could have isn't in seeking our own fulfillment and our own desires. But it's when we deny ourselves and we seek him. We seek his kingdom first. So are we convinced that God's way is better than our own. Because God calls for a selfless commitment that we would no longer live for ourselves to be great, but our focus would be on him being great in our lives and in our worlds. The second expectation that Jesus has of all followers of him is a daily surrender. A daily surrender. I just want us to dial in on that phrase in verse 23 deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, the people of this time thought of a cross probably a lot different than you or I do. It wasn't a religious symbol to them. It was a sign of execution, of Roman authority 
over them. The cross was not something that someone of this time would talk about in any spiritual or religious way. And when someone saw someone taking up a cross, walking through, everyone around knew, man, that person's life is over. It is over. What what they have gone, they might not be dead yet, but their life is no longer their own and it belongs to someone else. See, a cross affects all of your life. It demands a surrender of everything. Your life was over if you were seen taking a cross. And our surrender to Jesus, why he helps us use this metaphor is it's a reminder that we are to give up everything to follow after him. But we're so clever at avoiding this in our own lives. We're so clever. We avoid total surrender by compartmentalizing our lives in different ways, right? We're, we're like, okay, I'm going to like take and take and choose bits of God, bits of Jesus and, and apply it to my life. But I'm going to kind of leave certain things to the side, right? I'm going to, I'm going to take one part of God. Oh yeah, yeah I, I want forgiveness, but I, I don't want to have to serve other people. Oh yeah, I want, I want love, but I don't want to have to do that church thing all the time. Oh, I want, I want God's forgiveness in my life, but I don't want to have to forgive the person who hurt me. I want eternal life, but I don't want God to tell me how to live my life here. See, we compartmentalize our lives. We have our work life, our family life, and then we have our spiritual life over here. My friends, that, that's a wrong way to think about our lives. And the reality is this, Jesus will never be just a part of our lives. Jesus did not come to be a part of your life. Jesus came to take over your life. Jesus doesn't come to be a part of our life. Jesus comes to take over our lives. See, and this call is to take up our cross and follow him. Right? If there's a Christian slogan of discipleship from this passage, it would be, hey, come and die. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. But this surrender that Jesus calls us to, this utter surrender of all that we have in our lives is to be a daily thing. Did you catch that? Take up his cross daily and follow See. Sometimes we have thought wrong about what it means to follow God. We have wrong expectations of what it means to follow him. See, if someone were to ask if we're a Christian, what some of us may go back to and think is, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that time for a lot of us like myself. Oh, yeah, it was, it was many, many years ago. And we can think back to the event, the time where a decision was made to follow Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, that is significant. There are moments, there is a moment in life where we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. But the sign of us being a Christian is not just that we made a decision a long time ago, but it's that it has been a dedication of our lives every day since. See, we need to stop thinking about Christianity as a decision that we made rather than a dedication that we make every single day. This commitment to Christ must be a daily commitment that we are called to follow him. Not just on Sundays, but every single day of our lives. See, have you ever been around or been somewhere 
where someone just didn't quite understand the significance of what should have been a daily habit, but they weren't doing it daily. I remember uh, many years ago at the church that I had served at before when I was a youth pastor, we were uh, in a junior high room and the room was decent size, but it was not near big enough for the amount of junior high kids that we had in there. And man, junior hires were packed in there. And I used to joke with people that when you came to the church on a Wednesday night when we had youth group, you would hear us first and then you would smell us second, right? Because there's certain times for a lot of kids at certain ages, they just don't quite understand the importance of daily things like showering and brushing teeth, right? Those are optional things and you could tell around it. But what happens as they mature and as they grow, they start to understand there's daily habits and practices that I have to make a part of my life. See, following Jesus was never meant to be something we do on Sundays. Following Jesus is something that we were meant to do every day. It's not a Sunday commitment. It's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday commitment. It's not a church commitment, but it's at church, at work, at home, when I'm by myself, that in every area of my life, I'm following after Jesus and seeking after him. See, this amazing thing happens to each of us every day, that we wake up selfish and self-centered and focused, which is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says that I die daily. This daily need to follow after Jesus. So is your faith in him a daily commitment? Are you you honoring him each and every day? Are you practicing the disciplines and the habits of a spiritual life, of prayer, of, of worship, of Bible reading? Are those a regular routine and part of your life? Or have you compartmentalized Jesus and just being this thing over here? Jesus doesn't expect just to be a little thing in our lives. Jesus expects to take over. He wants each and every part of our lives. So his first expectation is to deny ourselves a selfless commitment to follow him. The second expectation is a daily surrender of everything we have to Jesus. The third expectation that Jesus has of us is a public allegiance to him. The third expectation is a public allegiance to him. Check out verse 26. This is one of these verses that is kind of scary that it's in scripture, but it's there. We have to address it. Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Jesus, whoever is ashamed of me, whoever can't stand for me in public, like I'm going to be ashamed of them because that's not a real commitment at all. See, a private commitment to Jesus, it costs us nothing, right? A private commitment to Jesus costs us very, very little. If I want you to think back, um, if you're a little older like myself, think, think back to maybe those junior high or high school or maybe even college college days. Think back to that person that you had a crush on, a crush. And it, it started somehow, maybe you glanced at them and saw them across the way. Maybe you were in class or, or had a job with them. And suddenly like there was something, there was something going on. 
that, wow, I want to get to know that person. Look at them. Look, I want to get to know them, right? And here's the thing. As long as that stays just with you, it costs you very little, right? There's, there's very little risk involved to it. But what most of the time inevitably happens is you'll tell someone else and you'll talk about it. And then eventually you'll work up the courage to go and to perhaps express your feelings of admiration to that other person. Now, why is that so nerve wracking? Why, why is that such a scary thing to do? Because when you make something public, now it can cost you something, right? When you go public with it, you run the risk of rejection, of denial, of, of being pushed aside or could go well. But you run that risk when something goes from private to public. See, being a secret admirer costs nothing. But it's when we go public that we put it all on the line. Are you a secret admirer of Jesus? Are we secret admirers of Jesus? Where, man, we we enjoy what this book says. We like Jesus, but we just want to keep him to ourselves. We don't want other people to know that we're Christians. We don't want other people to know that we go to church. We don't want other people to know that Jesus matters in our lives. Are we just being a secret admirer of Jesus. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament scripture is of a man named Nicodemus. And we see Nicodemus only kind of in three separate episodes in the New Testament, actually all in the Gospel of John. The first one is the most famous one in John chapter 3, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And if you remember, this is the conversation where, where Jesus says you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, yo, Jesus, I'm, I'm a grown man. Like, tell me how that works. And Jesus is like, you're not getting it. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. That whole conversation. But it starts with, it says, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He comes to him in secret. See, he doesn't want, Nicodemus is a religious leader. He doesn't want the other people to know that he's intrigued by Jesus. And so he comes to him in secret. The first time we see him. The next time we see him is in John chapter 7. And the Pharisees are looking to arrest Jesus. And he, Nicodemus, gets up and he says in front of all his Pharisees, now, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? His fellow Pharisees look at him and ask, are you from Galilee too? Meaning, why would you do that? See, Nicodemus is kind of slowly getting out there, right? He's letting somewhat of his admiration of his love for Jesus get out a little bit. And he's kind of pushed back a little bit by the Pharisees for doing so. We don't see much of Nicodemus again until John chapter 19. John chapter 19. His disciples have abandoned him. They've fled. Jesus has been crucified on a cross. And there's two men that go that next day to take Jesus' body off the cross and bury him. It's a man named Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. There he is. When everyone else has abandoned Jesus, they've run away. All his other disciples have. It's Nicodemus who goes and has this elaborate 
and very public display of following after Jesus. His faith in Jesus has now been made public. See, the Bible has no category for a private Christianity. The Bible has no category for a private faith that no one knows about, that no one can recognize, that no one sees. That's just our own little thing between us and Jesus. Christianity was a public. It was out. You were to be known for your faith in Jesus. So are we public in our allegiance to God? I'm not saying you need to be like obnoxious and like every time you introduce someone like say, oh yeah, this is my name. I'm a Christian. Nice to meet you. Now, I'm not saying that. Like, don't be obnoxious about it. But so often we just kind of hide the facts. We, we are asked, hey, what did you do this weekend? And well, I'm not going to say I went to church because then they might think something about me. And we'll, we'll just kind of keep the fact of, of our faith just kind of under a rug. We don't want people at work. We don't want people at school. We don't want our friends to know about it. But what Jesus expects from us is a public allegiance to him, that we would not be ashamed of him. So this is what Jesus expects of us. And what's amazing, what I love, is that Jesus doesn't expect from us anything more than what he himself displayed to us. See, Jesus expects a selfless commitment. And let's not forget that he is the one who in Philippians 2, it says that he considered equality with God nothing and he emptied himself, became servants. A selfless commitment that Jesus displayed. Not only that, but a daily surrender. Jesus all the time in the Gospels is seen as saying, I did not come to do my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Daily surrendering his life to God. In fact, saying, it's not my will, Father, but yours be done. Lastly, a public allegiance. See, it wasn't just a metaphorical cross that Jesus took up, but he took up a physical cross. And the cross wasn't just any way of dying, but it was a public humiliation. And Jesus died a public death, displaying to the whole world his love for you, his love for me. He publicly died so that we could know. My friends, that's what Jesus has done for us. And in response, he has high expectations of us. That if anyone would come after him, we would deny himself, take up our cross daily, follow him. A selfless commitment, a daily surrender, and a public allegiance to our Savior. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have indeed modeled for us some of what this looks like. And God, I pray that you would give us through the Holy Spirit the power to live this kind of life that you expect from your disciples, from your followers. God, that our faith would be made public, that our faith would be a daily practice, and that our faith wouldn't be about ourselves, but would be all about you. God, we need your help with this. God, help us 
to live in such a way that brings such honor and glory to you that others see our lives and they're drawn in and Jesus is worshiped because of how we live. That this is our desire, that you would be glorified through us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.